In the past generation, the science of our seas has undergone a revolution. As the ice caps melt and coral reefs face destruction, the urgency to understand our oceans has never been greater. At the heart of the world-changing discoveries being made is a global team led by this woman. Heading an extraordinary network of some of the world's top oceanographers, this film will follow her as she leads a mission in South America. But we still need to complete the core mission and sustain the array. Working to extend the new system of science that is providing crucial clues in our understanding of extreme weather. What we're trying to do is to simply understand climate well enough that we can convince um, everyone that we know how the climate system is is varying and changing on long time scales. It's only through that international partnership and using lots of new technologies that we're going to be able to get the information we need about how the ocean is changing and evolving. In this episode, Dr. Susan Wayfalls is our Earth reporter, and this is her story. One thing I'm really interested in is how the ocean's changing, especially over long time scales. And so what we've been working on is taking data from the modern ocean observing system, so what the modern ocean looks like, and comparing it to the ocean 10, 20, 30, 40 or 50 years ago. We can look at the patterns of change and the rates of change and compare that with the models uh, that we use to predict future climate, how well they do for the last 50 years. We're having to do data archaeology and almost detective work to understand how to use that older information. We're the only people that can measure the 1990s or the 2000s and those times are never going to come back and the state of the ocean will have changed uh, into the future. We should care about the oceans because they really determine our weather and climate that, that we live in, our environment. It's those oceans, those anchors of our climate system, the flywheel of our climate system, they're going to be basically uh, dictating our future to some extent. What got me into oceanography is that um, I was always a bit of a science nerd in high school. So I got interested in the science of the planets and understanding how they worked. And then I started thinking about the Earth as a planet and a system. And so that, in that way, I started uh, reading about how our climate system worked, um, and in particular, the role of the ocean. Susan's passion has now put her at the heart of one of the most important areas of scientific discovery. Unnoticed by many outside a close-knit circle of oceanographers, a global network has been created using thousands of remote-controlled robots to monitor for the first time dramatic changes in the oceans. These robots have to bring in vital information from oceans which cover more than 72% of the world's surface. We are making a huge map. It's a map of the oceans. If you look at the surface of the seas, they have peaks and troughs just like the land. If you look below the waves, you see a whole new landscape. 
All oceans have huge currents carrying warm and cold water around the globe. Driven by winds and the cycles of change in temperature and salinity within the water, they have a huge influence on the patterns of the weather around the world. Measuring the currents helps us understand how heat moves around the ocean and to learn more about its impact on the climate. I think one of the challenges we have is we're trying to get as close to the surface as we can, but we, we don't know the bottom depth so well. We just need to know what's the height or the lowest point you can keep this top instrument at. Sure. As an oceanographer, an important aspect of uh, my work is to measure the ocean currents. The currents reflect the circulation of the ocean and how it moves heat around the planet. Uh, and so we really need to understand that circulation in order to understand the ocean's role in maintaining our climate. Susan's team have been discovering how the ocean currents of Indonesia, including islands off East Timor, influence the variability of the climate in Australia, such as 2011's dramatic floods. But if you are measuring the ocean, you've got to have the instruments that are capable of beaming the data back to you. It's a major logistical exercise. And that's what we're doing here. We're building instruments and moorings to measure uh, and monitor that really important flow for our climate. It's a big engineering challenge and that's why we need to be using things like this, which is a component of a deep ocean mooring. We have to use very strong steel cables and, and large floats uh, to, to put our instruments on. And these are the two metre long robots that have revolutionised ocean science. They cost $10,000 each, and there are new ones being deployed constantly to beam back new data to scientists across the world. These robots of the sea are known as Argo floats. They have changed everything. It's taken us a long time to get where we are today in observing the oceans because the technologies that were needed to get to where we are did not exist 20 years ago. These technologies of autonomous instruments that can operate um, unattended by themselves out on the ocean, freely drifting for periods of years. As these Argo floats drift, they collect temperature and salinity measurements up to a depth of 2,000 meters. Essential information for scientists to better understand the changes that are taking place within the seas. Over the last 50 years, there's some very clear things that we can see have changed in the ocean. The first most prominent one is that it's warmed. Uh, at the surface, we see a broad warming of the ocean that tracks the warming of the land. The Argo is what we call a broad-scale observing system. It, it's mapping the very broad scale uh, structure of the ocean and how it varies and changes. And the idea is to take these very um, rather simple robots that we call them profiling floats and we want to put one of these floats out in the ocean. Basically one float every 300 kilometres in latitude and longitude. When we deploy our floats, they drop down to their drift depth of one kilometre and drift like a hot air balloon does on slow moving currents in the deep sea for up to nine days. 
At the end of the ninth day, the float drops down even further to two kilometers depth and switches on its sensor package, measuring temperature and salinity all the way to the surface of the ocean. And this is the part of the float that's sitting up out of the ocean uh, when it surfaces. The rest largely stays uh, submerged. This probe beams the information collected to a satellite system that geolocates the float and delivers the data to a ground station. The cycle is repeated every 10 days for between five and nine years. Accuracy in the Argo dataset is really important because we really need to be confident in the observed rates of change of the ocean. So it's essential that we remove any problems with the dataset so we have great confidence in the observed rates of change. Unusual amongst research projects, this real-time data is made freely available on the internet within 24 hours. You know, we have 3,000 of these floats now telling us uh, what the vertical temperature profile is in the ocean. And then we take that information and we can build month by month a picture of where the heat is building up in the ocean uh, or where the ocean's cooling down. And that in turn feeds back to climate variability, things like is the ocean preconditioned for an El Nino to happen? Um, you know, are, you know is, is the deep ocean uh, keeping very, you know, very warm and so that might give us a much warmer summer or a warmer winter than we expect normally. So it's telling us where things are hotter or colder than normal. Another major change we are seeing from Argo data is an increasing contrast between the salty areas and the fresh areas of the ocean. Those changes are telling us the water cycle, the movement of moisture through the atmosphere that feeds our rainfall, has intensified, which means it's becoming drier in dry regions and wetter in wet regions. We're starting to really now see very clear patterns of that long-term change in the ocean. And Argo's been a key uh, facilitator in that because we have such now a very clear modern baseline upon which to compare our older data. Thanks in no small part to the Argo robot floats. The evidence they collect makes the role of oceanographers central to understanding the most important changes in the world's climate. This is the only mechanism we have available for monitoring the ocean heat content. Uh, we know heat is changing in the climate system and uh, about 90% of this change is occurring in the oceans. And Argo is really, it's the only game in town. It's the only mechanism we have to monitor this. What we're trying to do is to simply understand climate well enough that we can convince um, everyone that we know how the climate system is is varying and changing on long time scales and so that the predictions of what the climate will be in 20 or 50 years um, start to have real credibility and they can affect the, the, the decision making that goes on um, by our society and our governments. But there are gaps in the system and Susan and her colleagues worldwide are now in a race to close those gaps. Consistent coverage of the Argo Array is extremely important because we don't want any gaps opening up or holes opening up where we have to guess or somehow infill what's going on. We want to directly measure it, so it keep, you know, to keep the uncertainty down. There are gaps in the system in the Arctic and Antarctic, gaps in the Southern Ocean, 
and gaps caused by politics and bureaucracy in some countries who still need convincing to come on board. And there are gaps caused by pirates. I need to bring you up to speed on our deployments. We applied for, we, for permission to deploy in the EEZ of the Seychelles, but they've denied it on the basis of piracy. It's too dangerous to send the ship up there. Really? My so the, okay. the boundary I got for the piracy area looked like that. That is um, amazing. You've got, yeah, it's a huge area. Simply can't put the deploying vessels at risk at all. So. No. With a quarter of the Indian Ocean now a no-go zone due to piracy, 30 floats need relocating. The challenge of deploying floats in the Seychelles area, or in that region in general, was simply getting uh, a deployment opportunity. It can take months to get permissions to deploy in, in the EEZs of the Seychelles or France. The ship that we're chartering to do those deployments was up there and said, no problem. And then, of course, uh, things change, and uh, the pirates widen their area of operation, and the Seychelles refuse permission for very good reasons. In landlocked Toulouse, in southern France, the Argo program is independently coordinated. Its satellites are monitored at a high-tech nerve center 24 hours a day. And as a large international collaboration, it's critical to keep the program functioning smoothly. The main challenge of Argo uh, is to get those instruments at sea. Uh, they live four or five years, so they can make about 150 10-day cycles. So we need to renew every year uh, part of the array. Basically, we need to deploy 800 units per year. So that's a huge logistical challenge. Uh, so one of the activities of the Argo Information Center is to help all the scientists to get their floats uh, uh, in the ocean. Despite 17,300 kilometers separating them, these French and Australian colleagues are in regular contact and work side by side. You know, as you know, it's, it's been difficult to find vessels to go in some parts of the Indian Ocean, right, Anne? I mean... Yes, no, it's, it's been hard. It appears that uh, a quarter of the Indian Ocean is, is somehow close to the goose implementation. That's, that's a big shock. <laughs> that really is. That's a huge area. I asked myself what, what we could do uh, here at the Argo Information Centre to, to better help you implementing the Argo program uh, uh, on a national basis. And, uh, uh, for me, the, the most important is getting this instrument at sea. Mm. Uh, uh, that's still the challenge and, and probably will always be for Argo. One of Argo's greatest challenges is really sustaining the core coverage of the array. If we have large holes uh, opening up in the array, we cease to have a seamless time series uh, and a record of how our oceans have changed and our climate system is changing. It's critical to maintain the international dimension of Argo. No single nation can monitor the ocean on their own. Annually, world-leading scientists gather to discuss the future of the project. In a bid to encourage South American countries to sign up and support the programme, this time it's in Argentina. As co-chair, Susan is responsible for leading a large part of this meeting. So uh, here I am in Buenos Aires. I'm here to meet with my colleagues on the Argo steering team, who, some of whom I've been working with for 10 years now. Meeting face-to-face -face with the Argo team every year is really essential um, because that's where we get to hear about 
um, how each program is working towards the goal of implementing the Global Array, and all the different problems that different nations face. So in figuring out how we can help each other achieve our common goals is uh, one of the key things about the meeting. For all the scientists gathering in Buenos Aires, it's a critical time to discuss the Argo project's future. Catching up with colleagues away from the main event is a vital part of the mission. <laughs> Professor Dean Remick of Scripps Institution in California is one of the original innovators of Argo and helped conceive the concept. He's also my co-chair. Uh, how secure is Australian funding? The thorny issue of operationalising. Yes. Argo funding is still up in the air. Yeah. Um, yes. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I'm finding it hard to, yeah, to, to, to move on that issue. I'm wondering whether people have any new ideas on on getting floats into the Southern Ocean because that that's really the, you know, that's always been the elephant in the room as far as as far as coverage goes. The big challenge is is is, is the vehicle to get them there. Especially if we can if. If we're successful in building longer-lived floats, so we can support a, a 4,000 float array instead of a 3,000 float array, for example, then we've really got enough floats. And the question is, how do we get them there? What I'm hoping for on the meeting is for us to have some certainty that over the next year or two we're going to be able to maintain the Argo Array. And so that's all around discussions about whether national programs feel that their funding is secure to ensure that we have enough resources lined up. State your role and, and your home base. I'm Tana from Japan, JMA. Juliet Hermes from the South African Environmental Observation Network. This is the group that's responsible for the international coordination of about 25 national Argo programs that each make contributions. John from the Met Office in the UK. Well, at the Met Office, we run forecasting models um, to predict conditions from sort of uh, several, well, seasons ahead to several years ahead. The Argo is the observing system that gives us that information, which allows us to initialize those models and make predictions on those timescales that, you know, have some degree of skill. I'm Ravichandran from India. The Argo data we are using, uh, we want to use for the better monsoon forecast system. It's terrific that the steering team is meeting here um, in South America for the first time, largely because Argo really needs to, to increase the number of partners internationally and so we're, we're trying to welcome as many nations as possible into the global program. We still need to uh, complete the core mission and sustain the array, uh, which still remains a challenge for many of our national programs. We need to broaden the support base for Argo by uh, having new partners and new countries join. Uh, to really broaden the support base and make it more robust. With each float lasting between five and nine years, annually at least 800 new floats need to be deployed, a huge logistical challenge. Um, 800 deployment uh, uh, last year, so we still have a deficit of 300 units, which means that if we want to catch up with that, we need to deploy 1,100 floats this year. 
I really think the cooperation and, and deployment planning and, and cooperation with regard to deployment planning is crucial this year. We have about 30 countries uh, implementing the program. It's not enough. Uh, uh, we need more. We need more assistance from, from the continent, the South American continent, uh, to get more instruments at sea, to maintain the array, but also if we want to expand it, as we plan to do in the, in the future, we need more involvement of this region uh, in the program. Each float costs $30,000 to make and run. The entire program comes in annually at a cost of $24 million. Funding this important project is an ongoing quest. The biggest challenge to maintaining a global program probably is getting money from national governments and getting the commitment from our, our uh, political masters uh, to, uh, to support a big international effort uh, to, to monitor the state of this planet. I really hope we'll be able to leave something worthwhile to future generations. Uh, at least we should leave knowledge of what we've done to it. After four days of discussion and debate, the outcome of the annual Argo mission was good news. We found out that we actually for the next year have enough resources to maintain the global array and prevent any large holes opening up in it. Uh, which is terrific because many programs only get funding from year to year and we're never quite sure if we're going to be able to meet our goals. The second thing is that Brazil might come on board and join Argo uh, to support it because we really need to broaden the partnership that underpins the Argo program. But it's only through that international partnership and using lots of new technologies that we're going to be able to get the information we need about how the ocean is changing and evolving to help us better predict climate, uh, understand the monsoons and track really long-term changes in the oceans. And we need to use very new and complex technologies to monitor really remote and difficult parts of the global ocean. The launch of the satellite Aquarius is an exciting new development in mapping the surface of the ocean. It's complementary to the Argo robots, serving the growing observation of the entire global ocean. When we look back on this period from the future, it, it's clearly going to look like a revolutionary change from an era 20 years ago where we depended entirely on ships for high quality measurements of the ocean to the present day where an integrated ocean observing system includes research vessels, satellites, and thousands of autonomous instruments that are making many kinds of, of measurements all over the world at once. And this will be a revolutionary change in, in our view of the ocean. Policies that government um, introduces really need to be underpinned by good, strong science. And Argo gives us the observations and the measurements of what's happening in the oceans to be able to do that science and make sure that then good science underpins policy decisions that will affect everybody ultimately. A robust global ocean observation system is essential and through this the gaps in our understanding of the oceans are being filled. Future generations need this information and it's urgent we gather it now because our oceans are changing and we need to understand that change and where it's going to take us into the future. I 
I do worry about the future and the future of my daughter. I feel quite strongly in that you know, observations are one of the most fundamental things about science. You know, what I'm doing now and the sorts of things that we're learning about the Earth system is going to assist her and future generations in managing life, really, and our environment. And so, you know, that's also an inspiration in the sense that um, we really want to, to uh, get a better handle on what's happening so there won't be any bad surprises <laughs> in the future. Anyone can be an Earth reporter. To find out more about how to join the global conversation, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash openlearn forward slash earthreporters.